Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand just a little more about how the other side thinks. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Skyway helps you know more, do more, and win more in the government market. To learn more, visit skywayacq.com. For today's episode, we set Kevin loose to interview Wendy Friedman, a professional proposal manager. Of course, the topic is proposals. This is the first of two interviews with Wendy. She brings great insight into what a proposal manager does and gives us some tips on what both sides can do to make the process of writing proposals for government acquisitions just a little bit easier. All right, here we go. Jumping right into it. Well, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. This is Kevin. Today, this is really awesome. We've got a guest who is a huge fan of the podcast. She's, we've been connected on LinkedIn, and she's also a Skyway community member. And here's the cool part. She's bringing the proposal perspective from the industry side. Uh, one of the things that our listeners have asked about is, you know, let's make sure we get the industry perspective on this too. So Wendy Freeman is our, our first industry proposal manager to have on the, on the podcast. And she's been doing this a long time. And she's been very engaged in the community. She's been big help with me helping people understand why the contracting officer's perspective matters to proposal managers. And so with that, I'm going to introduce uh, Wendy Freeman. So Wendy, welcome to the show. Hi. Nice so, to be here. It's, it's great to have you. So I'm going to let you kind of have the floor for a minute and tell us, you know, how did you get into proposal management? Is that something that you go to college for or is it something that you just kind of picked up? I did not go to college for it. I, for years, had what I call a real job. I was billable. I was a SME, a subject matter expert. And I transitioned from that into business development. Um, I was doing business development all the time because I couldn't eat and feed the family if I didn't sell my services um, when I was a SME. So I transitioned into business development full time, and I found that I really didn't like it. I did not like the client facing part of it. No offense to anybody who is or has been in government. It has nothing to do with that, more to do with my strengths and weaknesses. And I found that I really loved proposals. And I had been doing proposals as part of my job. And I made a career decision that I wanted to do only proposals. Every single person in my life thought I had lost my mind. They said, you love doing it once in a while, but you're not going to like doing it all the time. I looked around. All the days I wanted to go to work were days when I was on proposals. My best friends were people I had met on proposals. And I just decided to do it, and I've never looked back. And, and can I ask how, I long, loved it. how long ago that was? Was, was it a couple of years? That or? was in 2004. So, so what drew you to the podcast? Yeah, the podcast, that's a great story. Um, after I got certified in proposals, there's three levels of certification, um, I decided that I wanted to get certified in contracts. The National Contract Management Association, the local chapter, was having classes in my client's building. And a friend of mine and I started going, and I walked out of the class, and I said, wow, I learned so much in that class that really is going to help me be a better proposal manager. So I started going back to more and more classes. I decided I wanted to take the CPCN, and that podcast was such a wonderful way to prepare for that exam. 
because of the way it took something hugely complicated that's in all that small pipe in the far and, and broke it down in a way that somebody who, who doesn't get involved in every single phase of contracting could really understand. And I guess the postscript, I have to say, I passed the exam, so it, so it must be a great podcast. Wow, that's that's a great plug. That wasn't that wasn't scripted either. That's kind of cool. You use the podcast to study for. And by the way, for those of you who are not NCMA members, CPCM stands for Certified Professional Contracts Manager, and, yeah. and it's a it's a pretty big exam, and it's pretty tough to pass. <laughs> I, actually, this is a good this is a good shout out to NCMA for how the content on the podcast is is partnering with them because their executive director has was a guest on the podcast you know, way back when, like episode twenty three or something. So is it the podcast content that's about proposals or is it all of it that, that draws you in and actually helps you understand the proposal side? It, it's all of it because what is a proposal? It's something that becomes a contract. So it was really, really helpful to learn about what happens after this thing that goes in a box and goes on a truck and disappears from my life. <laughs> you know, what happens to it later? Um, because because all that stuff actually matters during the proposal phase, even though a lot of proposal managers don't realize that. So I am just so glad that I sat through the 120 hours of classroom training and, and studied and, and did all that stuff to prepare for the exam, not because I have any intention of being a contracting officer or a contract manager, but it just gave me so much insight into why all that stuff is in proposals. It's because they become contracts. It's a, it's a really interesting perspective. And, and one of the reasons I like talking to you is that contracting officers, I don't want to say never, but as far as I can tell, I never did, never actually interact with proposal managers. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff between the proposal manager and the contracting officer. And for that matter, even the evaluation team, they may, they may never actually meet. So what's the what's the one thing that, that you wish, or one, probably a lot of them, what's the first thing that you wish uh, the government contracting officer knew from a proposal manager's perspective? Let me count the ways. Um, <laughs> we talked about, uh, we, you know, we talked about planning, and, and there were comments in earlier podcasts about the importance of, of planning and not just being reactive. In, in principle, yeah. Absolutely true. I am I am a big planner. Um, it drives most of the people in my family a little bit crazy. My husband always says, um, "Have you put that on your Microsoft project plan yet, dear?" That's the kind of conversation we have at home. That's awesome. Um, so, so, so I'm all about. However, comma, um, there is a difference between preparation and planning. Okay, so. Preparation is getting to know the customer landscape, understanding what your solution is at a high level, identifying single points of failure in your organization, like only one person knows the code for this kind of software. Only one first person can fix the printer. We only have one printer. That kind of thing, that is preparation. Okay. Planning is often things like, well, we have the SOW, the statement of work from four years ago, so we should go ahead and start to write a technical proposal now, even though we have no final RFP. Okay? Planning is, um, I'm not going to take my vacation 
because it's June now, and the government said back in January that the RFP is coming out on June 12th. So I better cancel that family trip that we've been planning for the last four years, because suppose the RFP comes out. That's planning, and that can be really, really dangerous. So sort of understanding that distinction between preparation, which is very important, and, and planning is absolutely critical. So what's your favorite story for, for the planning? I mean, I'm sure there's a, I mean, that, that vacation kind of pops in my head is like, did, did you ever have to cancel a vacation for a proposal? I, I had a cardinal rule that I don't cancel it. And I don't, I tell everybody on my team to never, ever, ever try to plan a vacation around a projected RFP release. Okay. I, I've never had to postpone a trip or cancel a trip except for one time when it was a billion dollar contract and the RFP came out on an unexpected date. I canceled the trip. We got a refund for our tickets. We did the trip at a different time. All the years I've been doing that, that's the only time it ever happened. And, and it really doesn't make sense to try to plan personal things around an RFP release. What I always tell my teams is stuff happens on proposals and I have seen everything happen. Little people get born during proposals. <laughs> people get sick during proposals. People get married during proposals. Unfortunately, people get divorced during proposals. Okay. Stuff just happens and, and you simply can't try to make those life events line up with a government RFP. The, the whole thing of RFP delays in terms, I know, Kevin, you always like to talk about what do we wish government knew? Okay, here's something I wish government knew. RFP delays, here's what happened. In December, I was assigned to be a proposal manager and I was told the RFP was coming out in a few weeks. I relocated to be on site with this team and three weeks came and we got a notice that the, that the RFP was coming out in two and a half weeks. Then after two and a half weeks, we got another notice that was coming out two and a half weeks later. And this went on from January until July. Okay, two and a half weeks, that's not enough time to get back home and schedule a doctor's appointment. And I always joked with the guy who was the security guard at the front desk, he would compliment me on my clothing. And I looked at him and I said, these are my winter suits. There's a good chance you'll get to see my spring and my summer suit, which in fact he did because I was there until the middle of August. So there was absolutely no way to plan for that. And our lives are turned inside out when there's a series of small incremental delays. So any contracting officer out there, please do industry a favor and and plan for a longer delay, if at all possible, rather than multiple short incremental delays. It is death by a thousand cuts. That's funny. I'm, I'm relating this to when you go to the airport and you know you, you, they say your plane's going to be late. They don't tell you, you know, it's still in Chicago. You're in Tampa. It's going to be here three hours from now. So you know, suck it up. They say it's running late. It'll be 20 minutes. And then it'll be a half hour, and then it's another half hour, and then it's another half hour. And I don't know if they do right. that on purpose, but it sure feels like that. And same thing, as a contracting officer, I wasn't doing that on purpose. 
because I was hopeful. I really thought it was going to get done in two weeks. But, you know, right. yeah, I'm sure you may have been one of those people that did that too. Uh, so, yeah, the, the lesson is just as, and this goes under the under promise rule. And actually, Paul and I gave a presentation at World Congress one year about the whole idea of slow down to speed up and slow down yeah. and say, okay, if the stars align, this is done in two weeks. But you know what? Let's say it's going to be a month or two months and, and, and what, what would, and then basically that's, that starts your juices flowing over the idea of what would happen if it took two months for the RFP to come out, how would industry happen? How would industry react to that? Would that affect the funding? How would the user, the customer, the person that needs the stuff going to get impacted? You know, it, it starts to open your brain to let's plan for this thing to actually happen two months from now. And again, that's, I'm raising my hand cause I did it wrong. <laughs> I did exactly what you described right. probably a dozen times thinking I was, you know, helping in quotes. Yeah, and the, the other thing, Kevin, is that there um, there is a rule that industry lives by. And again, I'm a grandmother, and I've been at this a while, and I have never seen this rule violated. Is that the RFP does not come out early. So so when there is a date, um, we do try to get infrastructure type things done before that date. Um, so it really matters that RFP date not because we actually think it's going to come out on that date, but because we can plan on it not coming out before that date. And that is held true. I hadn't thought of it in terms of that's the date you're building toward being ready. I mean, you're basically, it's like you're, you're being right. ready to receive the RFP, <laughs> which again, <laughs> I had no context Correct. of that stuff even. You know, now I do. I mean, that's what we do for our community members. That's what we do for our clients. I mean, yeah, you're, there's a lot of prep that goes into it, but the timing of, when does all that prep need to be done? It's driven when the government says, yeah, this is coming out in January or whatever, because uh, that's that's the flag right. that's been planted. And, and people, you know, I, I mean, people, for people in industry, there's so much, you know, penny wise and pound foolish. I have had people during the proposal not go to get a flu shot. And the same person also did not go to get his car service. And guess who got the flu and on that same day was on the side of Route 66 with a broken down car, you know? <laughs> yes, the proposal's ongoing, but, but do the maintenance stuff if that's when you need to do it because I'd much rather have you at the pharmacy for 20 minutes at that minute clinic than I would want you in bed for four days during my proposal. Go do it on someone else's proposal, but don't get the flu on my proposal. <laughs> That's the big takeaway. Don't, don't get the flu on Wendy's proposal. That's awesome. So from, a, from the success perspective, like, what do you think people could do to make, them make these kind of uh, timelines more successful? Have you seen some examples of that when they work well? I think that when they work well is when we work from the knowledge that we actually have at that point in time. So, so one of the problems with over planning is that there's, there's way too many contingencies. And, and this goes on after the RFP has been issued also. Oh, we heard there's gonna be an extension. Suppose we get a two week extension. Suppose we get a 15 day extension. Suppose we get a one week extension. All of these contingencies they just, they drive you crazy. You can't plan for all those contingencies. And what's even worse is they create churn. So instead of working on the proposal, people are out spinning all these scenarios of what might happen if. 
So a very simple rule that always works for me is whatever is written down on paper, that's what we go with. And I actually, again, learned this from studying for the contract exam. If the contracting officer didn't say it, I don't care. I don't care what the program people said, right? That is worthless to me. Um, if it came from the mouth of the contracting officer, I believe it. Otherwise, we're going with the paper that we have. That's, I, I'm, I'm amazed. That's phenomenal advice. <laughs> and to hear it from the industry side is it, it kind of, it validates a lot of the, the frustration on both sides of like, well, why do you have to write it down? Because it's very easy to make assumptions based on things that aren't written down in the RFP or aren't you know etched in stone as the actual way we're going to do it. And I like this, that the analogy of churn is that's a, that's a, I can, the visual of that is perfect because it's very easy to get yourself spun up in 15 different scenarios that may or may not happen. And then you end up, you know, picking the wrong one anyway, and you wasted a whole lot of effort. Right. And at a certain point, you, you have to make an assumption and move on. And actually that's, that could be a whole nother proposal topic because it's not just about planning where people, you know, work off of inferences and something they heard and, you know, it says this in the RFP, but we know they really need that. All that stuff just goes on and on and on and, and people get caught up in it um, as opposed to simply working from what is on the paper. That, that is awesome. You're right. That's a whole other topic for, for another one. So let's let's wrap this one up with uh, the, the big takeaway for me is, well, actually, yes, there are two of them from the government side, from the contracting officer side. It's really good to know and helpful to know that when you post the schedule, it's going to, oh, we're going to be a week later. We're going to be a week later. And, and I did that because I was optimistic. The impact that has is it, it causes people to go, well, if it's only going to be a week, then I'm not going to get on a plane to fly home and I'm going to stay at the hotel, which creates Yes, there's the cost, but there's also that there's a, the, the burnout on that. It's like you're spending more time away from your family. You're not getting your oil changed in your car. You know, all that stuff's not happening. And I just was oblivious to that. So hopefully this fixes that. The, the second thing from the, the, on the industry side is the whole scenario planning is that there are, it's very easy to get sucked into a, a, a scenario exercise where you, you what if yourself to death. And I like the solution to that is, and, and I'm quoting you, it's really funny. If the contracting officer didn't say it, I don't care. <laughs> That's just a, a, you know, a very clear in your face kind of, this is really simple when we look at it. So did you have any, any major takeaways from that you, like the one thing you wish people remembered from this podcast? Well, I think it really goes back to just because you don't plan, it doesn't mean you don't prepare. Um, preparation is really, really important. So I'm, I don't want to be understood as saying that people should be reactive and wait for stuff to happen. But there's a difference between preparation and planning and, and be very deliberate about what you're doing. Deliberate planning will be the quote of the day. So, Well, thank you, Wendy. This is a really good. One. I think this will be the first of several, I suspect. That, and, and this is a great thing to share with our podcast listeners because the things that I pick up from you as we talked about today, are things I just didn't know <laughs> as a contracting officer. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you to, to continue a conversation if that's what they want to do? Uh, really, the best way is through LinkedIn. Um, my name is spelled F-R-I-E-N-A-N. My first name is Wendy. I have no middle name. I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. And, and it's been lots of fun. Thank you, Kevin. Not a problem. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. 
That was great information from Wendy Friedman. If you have other topics or guests that you think we should have on the podcast, send me a note at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.